So to say the least, I was terrified. That's the word I'll use, terrified, because I, I didn't know what I could possibly do. And so um, uh, that, was, uh, that was the big one, is I had to find out why I uh, was not making it in sales. Why is it that I could sit there in the seminars and the workshops and listen to the tapes, read the books, and everybody else around me is getting it but me? Why? And so that's what I had to explore. And that's what got me going in a very, very different direction. And I took everything I ever learned from sales, because it didn't work for me, and I started over from absolutely a blank. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, all of you amazing abundant leaders? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, proving to you that you can, in fact, live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness on your way to having more. I've got one heck of a treat for you today. We're This conversation is absolutely amazing. We had this conversation several months ago, and we are releasing it very late because I've actually been working with John. I've been working with John and his program. And after our call, our initial call several months ago, shortly after that, he put me through an assessment that you're going to get an opportunity to take as well as a result of listening to this episode. But after doing that assessment and then sitting down with him one-on-one, I am here to tell you, I have been through multiple sales courses. I've been to seminars. I've been to Tony Robbins events. I've been to John Maxwell events. I've got books after books after books from everybody from Russell Brunson to Dan Kennedy. I mean, you name it. I have truly studied the art of sales, and I've done a pretty decent job. But after going through this assessment and finding out my true identity, my authentic identity, and then what to do with that information, I have not only been able to improve my own business, my own sales process, it has also greatly improved my ability to help my business owner clients, as well as the other business strategists and consultants that I've been working with and showing them how to build their own business consulting business. Now, while we do talk about sales and the sales process and improving your sales strategies in this call, this conversation is about much more than just sales. So every one of you, as usual, will get a lot of great information that you can take action on over the next couple of weeks in your life, in your business, at your job, in your relationships. This is a wonderful conversation, and I'm super excited about sharing it with you. Before I introduce our featured guest today, I want to afford you the opportunity to be abundant in your actions today by paying it forward and sharing men of abundance with others. Do that right away. Otherwise, you're going to forget about it. Do it right this second. Just take a screenshot of your phone if you're listening to this on your phone. Take a picture of your computer or wherever it is that you're listening to this at. 
and share it out on social media, hashtag men of abundance. And for this particular one, hashtag sales or hashtag whatever seems to come out of the conversation, but definitely tag me so that I can lift you up. I can make a a comment about it and share that out as well. I want to continue sharing the wealth and sharing the abundance. Otherwise, what's the point, right? We're here to pay it forward. Information is not power. Shared information is power. If you hold on to information, that's a scarcity mindset, man. You have to share it in order to live a life of abundance and be a man of abundance, be a person of abundance. Now, let me introduce you to our future guests. After 20 years of unsuccessful cold call selling, John decided to throw out everything and take a fresh approach. Man, I'm here to tell you, most people would quit after five years. Going 20, man, I, I just know John had learned a lot, so I'm getting off track here, but I just had to throw that out there. Drawing on his degree in philosophy, he invented a groundbreaking approach of personal inquiry that revealed a person's life motivation and authentic design far beyond sales. Now, as CEO of Authentic Systems, John educates using practical and teachable methods and techniques based on European philosophy that guides others in their life choices regarding success or failure in their career, relationships, and personal well-being. Often compared to Jordan Peterson by his colleagues, John is an international best-selling author and is passionate about leading people to attain their life goals by helping them find their true motivation. Now, one of the ways that John does this is he first starts off with an assessment, the same assessment that he gave me. You're going to get a chance to take. You can go to moa.yourlifetheme.com, moa.yourlifetheme.com, and take this assessment. It takes a little bit of time, but I promise you, it is going to be well worth the time spent to take this assessment so that John can check out the evaluation and provide you with the information so that you can realize your authentic life theme. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to John Voris. John, welcome to Men of Abundance, man. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Where are you at in the world? I'm in Carmel, California. All right. I've yeah. got a couple, a couple of folks. I've been out to California a couple of times. I don't think I've been to Carmel, but <laughs> I've been uh, around those parts a little bit. Oh, that's nice. It's, I mean, the, uh, uh, the uh, beaches are fantastic and the views. Um, that's what people like. Uh, a lot of hiking, um, uh, a lot of nice, very nice restaurants along the ocean. Uh, so we, we enjoy it. But on the other hand, uh, when the tourists come, we kind of stay away because it gets really <laughs> packed down there. I bet. I lived in Hawaii for several years, and we didn't go down to Waikiki very often. Every once in a while, we'd go do some uh, tourist you know, attractions and stuff like that. But we usually reserved that for when family came into town and just kind of show them some of the tourist areas, but then take them to the cool local areas where most people don't know about. Oh, your point's well taken. Uh, I, we stay away from downtown Carmel and, and we wait for uh, people to visit. And that's when we get to see things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Get oh, in yeah. like a tourist. It's really fun that way. So, oh, yeah. And it's really fun to see it through other people's eyes too. That's the same thing I like to do he, even here out, in, out here in Tampa as well and other places I've lived around the world. But in any case, man, I like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, John. What do you have to be grateful for today? 
Well, uh, very much my uh, supportive wife. Uh, as you will know, writing books takes uh, quite a long time. Mm. Uh, uh, reading books uh, to get uh, the research uh, takes quite a long time. Also, uh, I had people help me organize. That was my big issue uh, because the, it really was the, uh, the, uh, the expansion of what I did was much further than I expected. And it started to feel like herding cats. So uh, I needed people to help me do that. And uh, uh, I really need organi organizers. And they did a great job. Oh, extremely, extremely important. I know that feeling very well <laughs> to get overwhelmed and get, you know, it, it really takes you away from what you're, you know, what you really enjoy. I'll speak for myself anyway, you know, doing the hurting the cat thing, which is exciting at times, but once it gets out of control, you, you get taken away from the stuff you enjoy doing. And, oh, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's that? Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, one of the things I, I spoke a little bit about you in the beginning, talked a little bit about your bio, that's the, you know, the professional stuff that you do. But here on Men of Abundance, we like to get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, how would you describe yourself, John? Well, I'm a husband, a father of uh, two daughters. Uh, again, I live here in Carmel. And uh, my wife and I also have a residential care home. Uh, for the elderly. We have uh, uh, three out of six residents. They're over 100 years old. And uh, of course, you can imagine with this COVID, uh, we're going through a lot of restrictions, but uh, it's working out fine. On a personal, uh, more personal level, uh, I'm always wanting to know, and I'm wanting to know about wanting to know. And uh, that really can, there's the good side and the bad side. The good side is I find myself learning a great deal on the other hand, when somebody asks me, what do I do for a living, I'll bore them to death uh, because I really do uh, go quite extensive on that. But if somebody uh, is interested in my area and they need something, uh, some research, I help them out. And uh, that's what I really enjoy doing. So um, I'm, I'm really into books. That's what I do. And what kind of um, books? And, you know, it seems pretty obvious from your bio, but what specific books and uh, we were talking pre-show about all the research that you do. And while I like to research, my thing is, my rule is, if I don't research research it from multiple uh, resources, I won't comment on it. Uh, I just feel I don't know enough about the topic to make a comment. So I think I wish other people followed that as well. But that's, that's another conversation we might get into. But what specific books are you referring to? Well, uh, it starts off with, uh, uh, I, I received my degree in uh, philosophy. And uh, I focus a great deal on philosophy of language. It's been with me all my life. And so uh, I'm sitting in a room right now with about uh, 4,000 books. Uh, so uh, that it runs the gamut from uh, oh, uh, Plato all the way up to Zizek um, and everything else in between. So uh, the philosophy of morality, ethics, um, uh, epistemology, axiology. I mean, there's just uh, many, many, many topics. Yeah, a lot of topics. And what do you feel that that's done for you as a man uh, living in the world today? Well, uh, the distinction is always in language. And a lot of people don't know what philosophy really is. And that's uh, what I explain when I uh, do give a workshop. Um, if you'll notice, you have the philosophy of language, you have the philosophy of art, you have philosophy of gardening. You can have the philosophy of uh, architecture. 
and you see philosophy doesn't have a specific subject it's not like biology is the study of uh, living organisms philosophy is a tool it's a tool designed to help us understand abstract invisible ideas now the counter to that is mathematics mathematics helps us understand visible physical objects and two plus two can be four but that doesn't mean there's anything any objects to count there are no apples there so it's a system so if i ask you do you think the death penalty is fair and you said no that's your opinion mm -hmm. but if i ask you why you're going to weave together your beliefs what you think is true your ex life experiences books you read and as you're doing that you are in fact philosophizing you're bringing those into a cogent perspective so philosophy really is doing just that it offers you tools to investigate abstract ideas wow yeah that's um pretty deep <laughs> but you really explained it very well there i never i never heard it in such an analogy and in such a way that really makes sense yeah most people well i understand why they wouldn't uh, uh getting a degree in it is different than just having a you know an extra course here or there uh, and of course the people who talk philosophy uh they they don't need to make that distinction so getting back to your uh, uh one issue what has it done for me is it really shows that uh, everything is in language and how you define uh, a lang a language and also the criteria you use and you and it's all always um uh, uh analyzing what's being said and why and understanding what communication is what language is and what is the intent and they're all can be very different so that's what has uh, really helped me through my whole life is to understand the distinctions between uh what is real and what is reality and what someone is an opinion that someone's trying to advance uh what's illogical uh and uh, what makes sense yeah yeah i get that what are some examples that you see in today's language and rather you know regardless of where it's at um that you could share with us to help us kind of drive that home well uh, the powers that be, you might say, understand that we live in a world of symbols and they're always trying to adjust our symbols. So think of, uh, let's say, the word poverty. Let's, let's think of a store, a grocery store. You walk in the grocery store and there's cans and there's bottles and just like the, every store we see. But this aisle is called poverty. And you reach up and you grab a can and has an advertising on the outside. And then it has a description on this on the side panel. And so this is what they're doing is they're promoting this can called poverty. And there might have a can of success. And there might have be a, a can of psychotherapy. And so these are all sitting here. And the so question is, which one do you want to buy? And that's what they're out doing. They're selling ideology. And so it's like walking into a grocery store. And so what you do is you pick up a can, you read it, but wait a minute, there's another can over here and it's not gonna cost as much or I'm gonna get more out of it. So I'm gonna put this one down. I'm gonna go uh, uh, down the aisle here and grab that one. And uh, sometimes you might just walk through the whole aisle and not, not wanna pick up anything. 
And that's what uh, uh, governments have been doing uh, all around the world forever. And, but recently it's been uh, uh, much more intensive. And uh, so they use uh, uh, language to um, get us involved emotionally and hope that we um, uh, believe in the new definitions uh, that they're coming up with. Uh, yeah, that I see how that makes a lot of sense. There are definitely a lot of new definitions, um, many new brand new definitions, and actually rechanging of words uh, and and owning of words. That if it's repeated in any other um, context, it's completely taken out of context, regardless of who's saying it or where it's where it's being said. Uh, so yeah, they're, and they're they're owning that and. Really, just like you said, kind of directing a lot of the ways that you know we think and the way that we see things in the language. That's very profound. Yes, and also identity politics, and uh, mm -hmm. so it depends on who says what, and that's not right. That's not logical. Mm. That's emotional, and that's uh, where the a huge distinction for me is. So I have a friend of mine who I talk politics quite often, and so I'm always referring back. Well, what criteria are you using? Are you being consistent? And um, I'm going to give a counterexample. And uh, so we have fun back and forth, but we always find that it's it's what is being promoted today and how is it different than yesterday and what might be the consequences. Yeah. And, you know, being as well-read as you are, this is one of my frustrations in that uh, on this topic in general with, you know, uh, rechanging language or, or looking at language a different way. I mean, let's just say straight out, just like, you know, with the Aunt Jemima labels and then the Redskins changing their names and um, Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, what four administrations had all said standing at the, um, at the uh, monuments. Um, goodness, I can't think of the name of it right now for some reason. The, um, oh, so it's right there. I'll think of it in just a minute. Um, anyhow, how it, how it all, you know, four different administrations stood at the same spot, said basically the same thing, but it means something different uh, now today. And I'm not completely disagreeing with that. Like if you look at the whole background behind the old, whole story behind the Aunt Jemima label and stuff like that, um, I'm not even saying that, that it shouldn't be changed and redefined. Um, but it's, like you said, it's, I don't know if you actually said it's the agenda, but um, the political viewpoints and who's saying it is really making a difference. Does, it, does that make sense? What I'm trying oh, to get absolutely. At? Yeah, that's the that's a, a very Mount Rushmore. I'm sorry, that was Mount Rushmore. I was thinking of. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yes. Uh, very. Yeah, that was uh, very impressive. Um, but uh, one day, I can imagine someone is going to uh, demand that boxing be banned. Mm -hmm. You could see. Someone could say in the future, well, that's brutal. Th those are barbarians. You don't, why are they doing that? And boxing uh, should, would be put on the uh, chopping block. I could see, well, how about bullfighting in Mexico? Mm -hmm. Now, you would think that someone would be just terrified of that idea. And one day that will happen. So you see, as the society grows and matures, our ethics and our morality move in certain directions and it's uh buffeted by you know positive and negative impacts positive and negative uh 
uh, uh, assessments and based on who's saying it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like society is like an amoeba. It's always moving. And so, yeah, I can understand that. that yeah, and that's what I was getting at when I started that conversation and that, you know, with, with everything that you've read and stuff and has been frustrating for me because what I was taught, I'm 51 now, and what I was taught in grade school and in high school in the textbooks, to me, looking back on it now, because I'm an equal opportunity advisor for, I was equal opportunity advisor for three years to two two-star generals in the United States Army uh, in the Pacific region. And, you know, which means I read a lot about, ethnicity and culture and so on and so forth. And the more I started looking at all the other stories from different perspectives, they contradicted what I learned in school because I was now hearing it from a different resource, from a different right. source, from a different group of people, their perspective, you know, the, the settlers perspective versus the native natives perspectives and so i mean i can just go on and on with all the different stories what have you found uh, along the way and and how has that shaped you as well well what i enjoy doing if i really want to find the truth about something so for example um, let's say the civil war what i do is i read books that were printed in in the 1800s and sometimes I'll be lucky enough uh, to find a book uh, printed in the 1700s. And so they had their biases then, but there was a different kind of bias, and they didn't know to hide the biases that we hold today. So you can find a lot of information that way that was true at the time that people today either don't know or uh, don't think it's important or are, are deliberately trying to hide. And uh, that is a real eye-opener. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I want to change directions a little bit because one of the conversations that I like to have here on Men of Abundance is this kick in the gut moment. And the reason why I like to bring this up is because we all have them. Uh, it's a matter of what we do with that information along the way that kind of changes the trajectory of our life. And hopefully we learn from that. And if you would, share with us a kick in the gut moment that really took you to your knees. And then we're going to get into and then share a little bit about what you learned from that and what are you doing with that information. Certainly. Uh, there's a couple. I have to go into a little bit of history. Um, again, um, uh, in co I went to college, uh, uh, Berkeley. My parents wanted me to be an attorney. I didn't. I wanted to be a teacher. And um, I needed a part-time job. And uh, well, it's very... Um, Attractive is door-to-door -door cold call sales because you can make theoretically as much as you want and you can make your own hours and uh, worked perfectly with my schedule. Uh, I tried seven times and I got fired four times and I quit three times. And in, in between them, I, I read books. I went to uh, workshops if they were around, uh, seminars, uh, listened to tapes in those days. It didn't matter. Whatever I I did. I just couldn't. Rejection always got me by the throat. And so I gave up on that, uh, received my degree, uh, but I didn't in philosophy. And I, but I didn't, I didn't want to be an attorney. I changed my mind. I bought a delicatessen. And um, I really turned it around. It was very successful when I first bought it. This was 1980 money. 1980, I was making about uh, grossing 150 to $200 a day. And on weekends, it was maybe two and a quarter on a Friday, or Friday, two and a quarter, 250 on Saturday. So within five months, though, I had it up to $800 a day with over $1,000 on Friday and Saturday. And, and people were saying, my God, this is incredible. And this is really a success. 
the truth was I was absolutely miserable. Mm. Um, absolutely. I'm telling you, I had my own business. It was making a lot of money. In fact, what I did is uh, there was a sandwich shop about four doors down. I was in the strip mall and uh, four doors down, they went out of business and it didn't matter. I was just, I mean, I was just beside myself, but uh, I have, a, I made a little office in the back. And so when I didn't have any customers, I'd go in the back and I'd do a little reading, but my reading was Immanuel Kant. And I couldn't get away from that. And that's what, that's where I should have always been. But now life has placed me in another position. And so what one hit me in the gut was uh, having this business is not going to cut it. And I have taken all my time and money and this is not working and I've got to do something. So I sold it and um, decided to take an offer from one of my suppliers and I worked for him. And um, it would be wholesale though. Uh, you'd go to grocery stores and other delicatessen sandwich shops. And I thought that'd be great because it's a, it's a fixed, I have fixed customers. They have a need, they have the money, et cetera. So I took the job, but um, uh, while my uh, business was in escrow, he give, you know, the guy gave me a call and said, uh, by the way, we're going to have to file bankruptcy, but don't worry about it because we're going to go back to the way the company started 50 years ago, which was door-to-door -door, door -door cold call sales. <laughs> so you can imagine, now I had failed seven times, so I've got nothing positive to look, look toward. But now I'm married and I have a child and she didn't work. Now I sold the deli and I had a little bit of money from it, but not a lot. So to say the least, I was terrified. That's the word I'll use, terrified, because I, I didn't know what I could possibly do. And so um, uh, that, was, uh, that was the big one, is I had to find out why I... Uh, was not making it in sales. Why is it that I could sit there in the seminars and the workshops and listen to the tapes, read the books, and everybody else around me is getting it but me? Why? And so that's what I had to explore. And that's what got me going in a very, very different direction. And I took everything I ever learned from sales, because it didn't work for me, and I started over. I'm absolutely a blank. And what you what what did you feel was the uh, what did you find out was the reason that you wasn't getting it while the others were, and then well, what direction did you go? So what I discovered was one is um, uh, uh, there people are after either physical results or abstract results. We do both, but to give you an idea. Uh, what that would be like. You can have a, a, a painter. You can paint, let's say you're painting a house. There's some painters who just really enjoy the, the odor of the, the, the paint and the glistening of the paint in the sun and moving over the old rough wood and making it nice and smooth. And they just really enjoy that and the warmth of the sun on their back and their, their, some exercising and they enjoy that. And when they're done, they just are done and they clean up and they go. Others paint, but they're not that involved with the physical side of it. 
They just want to get it done. They're really anxious to get it done because when they get it done, then what they're going to do is walk out in the street and look at the house and say, oh, my God, this is beautiful. So they're going to take in the aesthetic of what they just did, the abstract aesthetic. So people do both at the same time, but they have a preference. And so what I discovered was the preference of wanting an abstract result stopped me from the physical model that these trainers had in trying to teach people how to sell because sales is abstract. So for example, um, um, uh, if, um, if Wally knows how to tie shoes and Wally teaches his son how to tie shoes, the son will be able to tie shoes. And that's a very normal syllogism that all the schools use. But if Wally taught John how to sell and John learned how to sell, is it true that John will be able to sell? No. What's the difference? Selling is abstract, tying shoes are physical. Hmm. Yeah, very well. I've never heard that again, never heard it put out that way, but that's absolutely it's basically what I'm getting from it in short, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a difference between the journey and the destination. Very good. And also, you mentioned that. I mean, what I, I want to say is that in, you, in your marketing presentation, you really did that. You made a distinction between what am I going to talk about myself that is physical, uh, physically uh, observable as opposed to trying to have a customer make a decision. Mm-hmm. That process of making a decision is abstract. Right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's very different. Yeah. And so if you take physical results and abstract results, you see that there's a model for physical result and there's a model for abstract result. So what I did is I went back to my uh, uh, Berkeley days and the philosophy of language, and they're all from Europe, uh, Germany, uh, France, uh, uh, Denmark. Those philosophers uh, took the approach that, Let's first find out what it means to be human. Rather than look only at the physicality of what it is to be human, let's look at, at the meaning of what it means to be human. And then they come up with the idea of uh, uh, symbols, and the symbol, symbology is what really runs our life. Um, when I ask my uh, clients uh, to give a list of, of symbols, they'll say, well, okay, uh, well, language is symbols, and uh, uh, logos or symbols, um, and they start thinking about teams and and products and the apple, etc. That's how we're taught what a symbol is. It's a very intentional symbol. But uh, uh, in truth, a symbol is anything that has a name. That means the floor is a symbol, your table is a symbol, the walls are symbols. Everything that you see is a symbol. It's an object that carries meaning for you. And you have them present because this is what you like, or this is what you need, or this is what you use to express who you are. Hmm. And so the objects you have have been collected by your identity. And that's because you need them for your expression. They're like you're on a stage and these are your props. And so if that's true, why can't I read those symbols and find out who Wally is? I can't, and that's what I did. But, hmm. I, but on, I found 
their worldviews. Nothing, nothing greatly detailed, but just enough to help me sell them. Oh yeah, that's taking taking that personal touch to a whole different level and being a student, paying attention to the surroundings, um, all the stuff that you know many of us learn that through sales and and just making connections, making a, a personal and proper connection. So, what direction did you end up going? Um, you know, you sold your deli and you're in this situation. What direction did you go? That, oh, well, uh, started I, getting down the right direction. So I I I I I decided to take on the job. And I had to sit down and think of um, what is it about, what is really happening when you sell? Well, going back to philosophy, what it is, is objects, uh, we express our authentic identity through the objects, people, and events in our life. Getting back to the idea of the stage, mm -hmm. uh, where everything around us uh, we have in order to express our dramas. They're all props. Uh, people are props. Events are props. Objects are props. And we think with objects, we feel with objects, we emote with objects. So um, uh, what I learned to do is start reading objects. And I would start off with streets. I would start off with buildings. Um, and the truth is, is that uh, uh, the human mind only has really one need, and that is to express the authentic identity. And they do it through, we do it through, uh, conforming symbols of meaning, which is objects, people, and events. So everything that is around you right now conforms to who you are. Conforms, doesn't identify, but conforms. So if I know that, then uh, I'll look at objects around you and decide, I know what he's interested in. So what I'll do is I'll language my widget, whatever it is, in the language I'm seeing around Wally. And in so doing, my object that I'm selling becomes part of the objects that conform to Wally. At the same time, I do. So now you have the sales rep and the object conforming to the objects around Wally, and that will um, uh, uh, entice Wally to say, that's an object I need. Hmm. No, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm just soaking all this up, man. I'm glad I'm recording this so I don't have to sit here and try to take notes because it's, uh, it's really, I just love getting this deep into the uh, psychology of it all and, and the philosophy of it all. Well, I just want you to know the reason um, uh, why this sounds so different is because it is from Europe. And in this country, we're dominated by the American Psychiatric Association. And they want to have uh, psychology to be viewed as a science, which means everything has to be observable and measurable. Mm -hmm. Well, getting back to the physical and abstract result, um, there's so much that you can't measure. Um, and what I tell uh, my clients is um, uh, we may live in a physical world of objects, but we live and die for the abstract, invisible ideas. So you're there because of the abstract, invisible ideas of what you're doing. You're not there because you like the chair. You're not there because you like the desk or the microphone. You're there for the abstract meaning that you're generating. So if that's the case, then why not approach it from that position and speak in abstract terms with clients, customers? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned, uh, or we mentioned in your bio, it was in your bio that you're often compared to 
uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, ironically enough, I'd never heard that name before, yet just last week I had a conversation with yet another John uh, and uh, for the show, and he mentioned Jordan Peterson's books uh, that he has been studying. So it's, it's part of the marketing video that I did with the reticular activating system. When you see something, it automatically starts popping in front of you. And I have never heard that name before. Um, how is it that people compare you with uh, Jordan Peterson in that regard? Well, well that's my friends. It's uh, uh, because I'm, I'm talking the way I do. It's uh, can be very unusual. I mean, I've, I've watched him. I mean, I've watched him through uh, the internet. And um, there is a lot that I'm not like him about, but that's how people on the outside looking in that mm. don't uh, engage in this kind of language uh, view me. That's, that's, you might say my, the, my marketing people did this, mm. but, um, but also I go, as you can tell, much deeper than uh, people that are in sales. Yeah. And I think that's what they're referring to. Okay, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I hadn't had the opportunity to uh, check out any of his content. In fact, uh, the other John uh, Curry had shared a video with me uh, to make sure that I check out. So uh, definitely want to go check that out. I hadn't had a chance to just yet. Otherwise, I, that would have definitely made more sense um, for me. So how are you paying it forward at this point? What are you doing with this amazing information that you've got in your head? What I, just what I discovered is that through this process, of assessing objects around people, I was able to find out several aspects of who they are in the sense that uh, what, uh, what makes them happy, what conditions make them happy uh, in, in form, that was very general sense, and very general sense of uh, how they learn the best way they learn, um, how they, uh, the best way they communicate with other people, and the action they like to uh, take in order to express their authentic identity. Um, so, because we only have that one need, and that's to express the authentic identity, people don't stop doing that. And so there's these four components that I learned from, um, uh, of all things, Arthur Schopenhauer, <laughs> um, that there are four uh, uh, stages of uh, uh, motivation, and we're motivated to um, care, about being in the world. Uh, we're motivated to know, we're very curious, and we're motivated to become better than we are, and, and we discover relationships. And, and finally, we um, want to be in action uh, and in order to produce. And in that production, we validate our sense of self. So, so when I take Arthur uh, Schopenhauer and I start to apply it, to these other ideologies, and then I apply it in the language I, I speak with to my clients, it all melted together. So what I learned was, in fact, I have a, a client I have, I'll be dealing with next week. I've been dealing with people who are uh, coaches, and this one is a career coach. And they're a little bit, uh, some of them are not satisfied with personality profile tests. And uh, they work great for some, but for others, no. And so for her, her frustration was she, they would take the test, but then uh, they wouldn't follow through with her advice. And you would think they would because they, she's following the results of the test. Anyway, so as you could see, I'm going beneath the test. Uh, and in fact, my first book was uh, 
uh, discover the power beneath your personality. And so I assess people for them and find out what really motivates them and what makes them happy, how do they learn the best relationships, and what's the best way that they can produce in the world. And uh, then that coincides perfectly with the type of careers they want and mm-hmm. other, that they really should be looking for. And um, so right now she has a, a 97% placement, but a 95% retention over five years with her clients. Well, yeah, that's very impressive. And that does make a big difference. Um, I've taken a number of those personality tests and I've uh, had, you know, employees that worked for with me and for me and colleagues and stuff do the same so that we could one place ourselves in the right position, but also as leaders be able to uh, do that as well. And I can definitely see how that'd be greatly beneficial uh, to various coaches uh, to, to know how to, directly communicate in the way that that individual communicates because I've, I've had this conversation with multiple coaches about, well, they're going to communicate with me the way I want to communicate. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, you can, they can conform to that and you can attract that type of person. But ultimately, if you really want to help, you got to really meet them where they're at too. Yes. In fact, I think I did listen to a few uh, of your podcasts before, uh, before today and uh, one of the gentlemen made another made the distinction of uh, knowing who you are compared to what you do, mm-hmm. and th- this is what I'm doing. I'm comp- I, my te- my assessment is who you are, not what you do. Right. And um, uh, this is what happens in um, when people are looking for careers. Uh, they have a list of all the things they did, and they say, "Well, then you're qualified for that." No, I don't like that job. Well, this is all you've done. Well, that's not about what I've done. It's about who I am. And that get, gets missed. Yeah. Yeah. And who you are changes throughout the course of your life. Has yeah. for me anyway. I mean, yeah. growing up, I wanted to be a medic and I wanted to, you know, do trauma management. And then later I wanted to do management. And when I got out of the military, I did not want to do anything to do with the medical field at all. You know, I, I just, it, it, you change along the way, but that is a very important distinction. Yes, and uh, but I wanted to know that I, I do find a uh, find something you, you could think about is that um, uh, what you're doing is you're taking uh, you like facts and you mix that with sentiment. So you take the facts of what it means to engage in in the, the medical field, which is mentally uh, uh, quite extensive. So you have to learn a lot, mm-hmm. but you're doing it in order to take care of people. So what you're doing now is also learning a lot in order to help people. Mm-hmm. Do you see the similarity? Absolutely. Yeah. Makes you never left sense. it. Mm-hmm. You never left it and you never will. Yeah. That, that even clarifies it quite a bit more because people have come straight out and asked me, how does an army medic end up being a business strategist? And I said, well, towards the back into my career and even much of my career, I was a strategist. I strategized more medical assets were going to be in personnel on the battlefield and in garrison or wherever I was at in the world. And I kind of do the same. I'm, I'm still a strategist. I've just yes. changed the field. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Makes perfect sense. I like the way you break that down. Yeah. So, uh, can you, uh, so you can imagine what if, uh, uh, what if somebody said, Hey, we've got a great job for Wally to be a realtor. Well, yeah. what would happen? <laughs> um, <laughs> you see, that's, so we know that that's, that's the distinction. It's just by knowing what I said, um, I can tell 
what jobs you least you'd be most happy with and least happy with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's extremely important information to have and for yourself as well as as a, a leader, coach, organizer uh, of people, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, John, we are at the point we're going to pay it forward to our leaders. You ready to do that? Sure. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. Well, uh, first of all, have them look around themselves uh, uh, in a room that really they can call them. It's their room. Um, uh, It could be a bedroom, front room, whatever, office. And look around the room and pick out objects and say, ask yourself, what do they mean to me and how do I feel? Why do I have them? Why do I enjoy having them? And you can begin to see a pattern because there will be one because you're the one doing the collecting. And that's one way to find out uh, what motivates, what's always motivated you. Um, next is, um, uh, I would say to, um, ask yourself, what does it take to be who you are in a career position? If you're a realtor, what does it take to be a realtor? What does it take to be a mechanic? And you'll have a different set of answers than what, what does a realtor do and what does a mechanic do? So, for example, um, a mechanic has to be patient, has to understand systems, has to uh, be able to work with physical objects uh, and, and have satisfaction in doing that. They have to be, have a precise mind, detailed mind. And so when you think of it that way, those people will have those qualities, some a lot, some less, but they will have those qualities that I don't have. If I had them, I would be possibly a mechanic. You see that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And so the other one I use, a technique, is when you're about to meet someone, I ask myself, uh, by knowing who I'm not, I know who they are. And I know that sounds very bizarre. But I am not a realtor. So why am I not a realtor? And so I would start describing the things that the realtor does that I don't. And by knowing what I don't, I know what they do. And so that worked uh, beautifully for 20 years. So you could find out what motivates you, um, at least the first steps of what motivates you, um, and what motivates others, and try it. And, and then what you do is when you speak to them, use the language that you're saying around them. So when I used to door-to-door sell, if I saw a, 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 a plaque that said attorney, and then the, two doors down a plaque that said antiques, I know there are two different kinds of people in those two different stores. And I know that there's a great deal I can rely on when I walk through the door, the way I can speak to them. And that's what I did. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes a, <laughs> that's, that's very valuable information. I appreciate that. What um, rituals make a big impact in your life? It's always in the morning in the shower. That's what I do 
and and what I do is I let my mind wander, and uh, I and, and just do something physical. It's you know when um, uh, let's say um, when you're doing something physical, uh, it's like um, you you in, in, enslave the body for the moment, but you free the mind. And in management, you enslave the mind but free the body. And so that relationship uh, helps me in uh, freeing up my mind by doing something physical so that I can come up with new ideas. And it's uh, very relaxing that way. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. John, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Well, I'm reminded of a, a, a poet that I read years ago, and one of the one of the statements he made is, "Can you remember who you were before the world told you who you should be?" And that's what happens to a lot of my clients. Good-natured parents and friends, relatives, guide us in directions that we don't belong. And this is why the, you might say, the happiness scale on careers is so low as it is. And people aren't deriving the satisfaction that they had hoped for. Um, I would say probably the last uh, oh, 20 out of 30 clients I've had have been attorneys. They're having a heck of a time because they go into the idea that uh, I'm going to uh, instigate justice. And it turns out to be it's nothing but to settle. And uh, the bad guy sometimes wins and the good guy loses. And this is uh, very difficult and they don't know what to do with it. And, um, or they shouldn't be in, in uh, law altogether. Uh, but that's the problem is that people are being pushed in the direction they shouldn't. And um, our parents always wanted the best for us, of course. And they always pushed money. So it's almost like here's a board with a lot of these careers, and these are all high-dollar careers. Just take a dart and throw it because their idea is, well, you're intelligent. You can do anything. Yeah, you can do anything provided you have the capacity and the desire, and mm -hmm. it's there, and it's natural. And so uh, that's the big problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I 100% I agree with that. only thing I would add to the, the money motivation is the status. Um, you know, they put doctors on a status and lawyers on a status and just education in itself on a status. And education comes in so many different forms these days. Um, some people just have no, no business, quite frankly, being thinkers. They're doers. They're laborers. And that's where their, their zone is at. They love doing that kind of stuff, like mechanics, for instance, and the trades and whatnot. They just thrive in that environment. But you know, so many are pushed into the, into, like you said, environments that they just don't belong and they don't really want to be there. And therefore yeah. they end up being miserable regardless of how much money they make. Yeah. There, uh, I had one client who uh, set up the music um, uh, cables and speakers for bands and loved it. But the, the wife said, look, why don't you go get another job and wear a suit and tie? And, and so his friend says, sure. Uh, with the insurance company, we're always hiring. So he, um, uh, got a job in life insurance and with very quickly he was miserable and he came to me and in the process of doing an assessment uh, we discovered that he's after physical results mm -hmm. and so i asked him i said in selling life insurance 
what is it physical that you're selling? And he stopped and thought about it and thought, and I said, all you're selling is a piece of paper with ink on it. That's what's mm -hmm. physical. And he, and he got it right there. He said, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. <laughs> and so he did. And, and good said, that was years ago. He's really blossomed. Very good. Very awesome. I love those stories. So what does being a man of abundance mean to you, John? Uh, finding your authentic identity, finding out what really motivates you. And once you find that, then synchronicity comes into play. And you it's almost like magic. Um, uh, I'll walk into a bookstore and, uh, and see a book and say, you know, I just got to have it. And I really don't know why, but I do. And I'll buy it and I'll take it to my office, set it on the shelf. And four months later, I'll need it. That happens a lot. That happens a lot with a lot of people. When they're accessing their authentic identity, things show up in the universe. Hmm. Uh, yeah, very true. Very true. I've, I've got some of those stories myself. It's oh, been yeah. a great conversation, very deep. Um, we're going to close this up, but before we do, what did we not talk about that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation? And how can we get more of you? Um, uh, one other aspect is to, uh, to make a distinction between the right problems and the wrong problems. Uh, people kind of clump them together and become overwhelmed. Um, you imagine that uh, the right problem for the Wright brothers uh, was the airplane crash. That's what they're there to do is to escape gravity. That's the right problem. The wrong problem is to open up the hangar and the plane is gone. So because it's the wrong problem, because it has nothing to do with the movement toward their goal. So you must be able to separate what is part of your goal and what's not. Because what's part of your goal is your free choice. I like that. So we're going to definitely have your website, johnvoris.com, linked up in the show notes. Um, but how else can our abundant leaders get more of you? And, um, you know, what else would you like to share? Just go to johnvoris.com. And I have uh, go also to Amazon. And I have two books there. One is um, Learn to Sell What They're Buying. And the other one is Discover the Power That Drives Your Personality. And that both of them have been very popular. Mm. Yeah, very powerful. I appreciate that. And we will definitely have that linked up in the show notes. So guys, make sure you go there and check that out. John, absolutely amazing conversation. I greatly appreciate your insights. Got a little uh, deep there and made me think. And I'm glad I can have the opportunity to go back to and listen to this again, as I'm sure others will as well. Uh, so just go out, live your life of abundance, John, and keep paying it forward. I absolutely love what you're doing. Well, thank you very, very much. All right, guys, I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. That was a really fun conversation. Very deep, but very easy to understand. It's a little bit technical, but man, it truly opened my eyes, which is why I wanted to have a much deeper relationship with John and get connected with him and use his resources and use his assessment. So your action step today is to go to moa.yourlifetheme.com. Take that assessment so that John's team can get together, compile that information, and then get that out to you however you would like to receive that information. There's a couple options for you. 
And I highly encourage you to do what you can to sit down with John one-on-one. That is by far the best way to really understand your authentic system, your authentic life theme, so that you can move forward, not just in sales, but in relationships and in every other part of your life that you need to, you feel you need to improve on. John will help you do that. I promise you that is absolutely amazing how he does it. Now, go out, live your life of abundance, and be sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance. Oh,